Hello. This is Movie Thoughts. I'm John Hastings. This is my podcast about um, movies and talking about movies and thinking about movies. I'll ramble on a little bit about some topic that is of interest to me and hopefully of interest to the 30 or so people who listen to this. This is the uh, sixth episode. Today, again, I want to talk about another of my least favorite lines of criticism. Um, not so much directed at movies, but about filmmakers in general. And the criticism is that the filmmaker is, is repeating themselves. So, you know, she's making the same movie over and over again. He's uh, only has one movie. He keeps making the same movie over and over again. Why I don't like this is it seems that this is an example um, similar to my complaint about the people complain about historical inaccuracy is it's a, a sort of shorthand that obs- really obscures more than it illuminates. It represents usually a pretty superficial take. Um, and there's a couple ways we can go about it. Um, one is to look at the idea that in some cases, who cares if something is repeating itself? Um, if it's good, then kind of a repetition of something good is still pretty good. There's whole domains of of kind of arts and crafts where the idea is to kind of perfect something. The idea is not to make something completely novel every single time. It's uh, It's to kind of per- perfect whatever it is you're making. So one can imagine a filmmaker making Western movies throughout their career and the differences between them have less to do with the material or the themes addressed than the than how well that material is handled and how well that material is addressed, how those themes are addressed throughout the course of, of the career. That sounds like a pretty reasonable uh, way to, to look at things. I'd add that you know, very few movies are truly original anyways, even movies that are so-called, you know, even a lot of movies that we think of as different or new will share a lot of DNA with earlier movies. A lot of the novelty is merely superficial. So my sense with this type of argument, this he's repeating himself argument, is that it tends to be superficial. But I'd like to kind of go deeper by looking at two, kind of doing two case studies on directors that I happen to like, who, whom have been the target of this criticism, I think unfairly, although I can kind of see where it's coming from. So I want to kind of give, kind of go, explore that a little bit more. And those uh, filmmakers, um, one, the popular American filmmaker, Wes Anderson, who I think most people listening will be familiar with and have probably seen at least a couple of his movies. And the other one, the South Korean filmmaker Hong Sang-soo, who is very popular in the worldwide festival circuit and whose movies are, I think some of them are still on the Criterion channel and some are are available for streaming on Amazon Prime, but maybe not as, as familiar to everyone. We'll start with Wes Anderson. So... I remember really getting into my first arguments about this issue, whether or not he was repeating himself um, when I was recommending Moonrise Kingdom to people. And some people had seen the movie and they said, ah, it's just the same movie he's always made. 
and I'd recommend it to people who hadn't seen the movie, but maybe had seen the, the trailer. And they said, oh, that looks just like the same movie he's always made. And I thought that was odd coming from the people who had seen it, especially because I really liked it, partly because I thought it was a very different movie from what he had made before. And in fact, a few, his, a few of his earlier movies that were very popular, I really didn't like as much. I didn't think they were nearly as good as Moonrise Kingdom. Um, to kind of back up, my take on his career was, I think, uh, Rushmore and The Royal Tannenbaums were both very impressive movies. They, You could see this was a talented filmmaker who had a very uh, personal, idiosyncratic vision. But I thought they were limited by a very adolescent sensibility. So in The Royal Tannenbaum. In the Royal Tannenbaums, for example, the Ben Stiller character is grieving his 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 dead wife, and that gets played up for laughs in a way that seemed fairly immature and not very considered. Um, also, in that movie, there's really no distance to the 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 way that the the Luke Wilson Gwyneth Paltrow storyline is presented. It seems very much a fantasy of a kind of disaffected, precocious youth, rather than a kind of comment on that type of fantasy. And that's that kind of that criticism also kind of sums up all of Rushmore to me too that it's it's this it seems like the there's not enough distance um there's not really that that type of distance you need to to bring out the limitations of the main character's adolescent worldview. However, I think Wes Anderson's work really turned a corner with The Darjeeling Limited. And in that movie, uh, he showed a greater mastery of form. He he really um, showed he was a master of this kind of Blake Edwards style widescreen slapstick, and more importantly, um, a mastery of tone, uh, able to navigate these very complicated shifts between his kind of comic ironic tone and a more romantic tone, but with a more adult worldview. So, you could say that. Um, you could certainly notice similarities between the Darjeeling Limited and, and the movies that came before. Uh, the, the Darjeeling Limited and the Royal Tannenbaums both deal with children coming to terms with their relationship with their father. But I felt in the Darjeeling Limited, the focus on the dynamics of the brothers and their relationship was just more fully realized than anything in the Royal Tannenbaums. After the Darjeeling Limited, I was, which I which I say I really liked, but then I was really blown away by Moonrise Kingdom, which I thought was a, a really a staggeringly great movie, maybe wrapped up in an almost unbearably cute one, but for me it's really one of the great American movies of the century, and so when I I kind of saw this movie and was really taken by it, and I would. Talk to, try to talk about it with people, and people would say, he's re- oh, he's repeating himself. I thought, well, one, maybe if he is, that's okay, because he keeps getting better. Uh, but then I thought a little bit more about it, and then two, in terms of the themes, it seemed like Moonrise Kingdom was richer and more mature than his earlier movies, so I, I really didn't feel like he was repeating himself. It felt that he was kind of taking on more and thinking things through more clearly and taking us to a place that's that's more interesting than his earlier movies did. And then those same conversations re- kind of repeated themselves, 
kind of that, that this here's where the repetition gets in. I have the same conversations over and over again with people about it. Uh, with regard to his next live action movie, the Grand Budapest Hotel. And, you know, I got in a discussion about someone, he's obsessively repeating himself. He needs to break out of his box. This is a some type of obsessive compulsive disorder that he keeps making the same movie over and over again. And I, I would say this time, especially with the Grand Budapest Hotel, this is a completely different movie. This is on a different theme. This is a big, uh, a, a kind of a bigger scope. It's about the battle between civilization and barbarism. It has kind of a world historical sweep to it. He, it's really nothing like that in the rest of his his filmography. It's it's hard to say whether people. Uh, it's hard to say how how deeply people were really experiencing the movie for them to kind of look and look at that movie and say he's repeating himself. And a lot of these people who had made these comments about Moonrise Kingdom and the Grand Budapest Hotel would tell me that they. Were, had really had been really big fans of his early movies. They're kind of the opposite of me in that sense. So they had been Wes Anderson fans, but now they weren't figuring that the you know, even if they were still fans, they thought that the the later movies weren't as good, and they did feel that the later movies he he was in a rut or repeating himself. So why were they saying that? So here's my hypothesis. And forgive me again if I psychoanalyze, because that's my part of my day job. You know, the, the impact that Wes Anderson's early movies had on people was really in particular through his style. His, his visual style, his tone, his use of music, that kind of, I think even that adolescent sensibility was, was kind of appealing really didn't matter so much to the people who who kind of connected instantly with feeling this was a new voice that was kind of speaking to them um, very powerfully. It didn't matter so much the details of what he was saying. So it didn't matter so much if it wasn't all equally mature or if the themes weren't all equally interesting or if there was some incoherence with how he was treating the material. That didn't matter. What mattered was that there was a new voice a compelling sense of design and humor and pacing and storytelling and, and sound design and music. And that's what they were responding to. Not so much the movie in terms of the story and characters, the theme. So a few movies down the line, the folks who had that reaction mainly or who were drawn to his movies because of that connection, they're still really not paying attention to the movie. They're still mainly um, seeing the approach, the style. It's, it's, you know, they, and they see that that hasn't changed. That the, the thing that was most uh, compelling to them about the earlier movies is this, you know, really hasn't changed at all. And that makes sense to me. It's the same guy making the movies. But because for them, the style was the big novelty at the time, it, that was the, the kind of big draw. Well, it isn't a novelty anymore. So for them, he's repeating himself, not because he's really making the same movie over and over again in terms of story or theme, but because he's actually basically the same person creatively, and he has a lot of the same creative drives. And it doesn't matter to them that he's working on a different subject or addressing a different theme or he's making up new characters. He still has the same sense of design. He still likes these symmetrical shots. So for them, same movie. So I think 
you know, so on the one hand, they have a, a deep connection to that style, but really it's a deep connection to the surface of that style. It's a, it's a, it's a, ends up being pretty superficial. So for Wes, that claim that he is repeating himself is really just a claim that he has a consistent style. And I think it's made by people who overvalue novelty, um, overvalue novelty in fashion. And of course, to be fair, since that sense of fashion and sense of style is how Wes Anderson built his reputation, you can kind of allow that maybe he set himself up for this type of criticism. Ironically, if he had a more neutral style, he probably wouldn't have popped as much. He would not have had the same impact. But I don't think he'd come under this type of criticism of repeating himself. If his, more, if his visual style was more neutral, like let's say James Gray, who, who does have a, a, a visual style, he's the director of Ad Astra and We Own the Night and The Yards. Um, he, has, he definitely has a visual style, but it, isn't, it doesn't kind of reach out and grab you like Wes Anderson does. And uh, it's not as idiosyncratic. It doesn't, he doesn't have that same uh, kind of voice that kind of you can almost tell from a still of a Wes Anderson movie, you know, that it's a Wes Anderson movie. Um, and, and Gray is, like, like I say, less idiosyncratic. He's more out of the, the Gordon Willis school. Um, I think we'd be more easily able to differentiate the movies based on what they're actually about. We, we wouldn't say they're all the same because we'd say like, oh, that's the one about the three brothers trying to come to terms with their father's death. Or that's the one about the hotel during the run-up to a war. Or that's the one about uh, an, an absent father who's now trying to reconnect with his adult kids. That's the one about the precocious prep school student who falls in love with an older woman. Or that's the one about the misfit kids who run away on the island. And we can see there's, there's recurrent themes and characters in all those movies. But if you just look at what they're actually about, that sounds about as varied as that of any other author's work. You know, some connections between the work, but then a lot of variability too. I kind of liked that. I, I certainly like that Wes hasn't backed away from his style. I, you know, I hope he keeps making movies uh, that are even more Wes Anderson-y looking. For one thing, it's not like anyone else is making those movies. And uh, it seems, you know, God forbid we should have more than two movies that look like the Royal Tannenbaums. I mean, I, I, you know, I want 100 movies from Wes that, that look like that, but are where he continues to kind of break new ground in terms of what characters he's creating and what themes he's exploring. So let's move on to case study number two. And this is Hong Sang-soo, who, as I said, is a South Korean director who makes movies that are I think mostly kind of get most of their audience through kind of the worldwide festival circuit and people who pay attention to, to festival movies. With Hong, the case is more subtle. Uh, this is a, he's a prolific director. He makes a lot of movies and they're all, you could say there's, there's, there's something very similar about all of them to, to be fair. So the movies are all these semi-comedies about men and women connected to the arts in some way, usually uh, filmmaking or independent filmmaking and uh, or film schools, film, film instruction. They all have relationship problems. They usually drink too much, and that usually plays into their relationship problems. And 
within these movies, there's often some kind of narrative conceit or framing uh, that itself is often based on repeti- repetition. So the, the most straightforward is maybe we'll see a relationship from one point of view and then the same scene um, from another point of view. But there's movies where you have three short movies that are uh, kind of variations on a theme. There's a movie that seems like the same day, maybe played over again multiple times, but there's a, a different, there's different supporting characters in each sequence that, that changes the way things play out. So you, you have a director who's making lots of movies. The, the idiom is the same in each movie. The milieu is the same. The kind of characters and uh, their world stays the same. The setting is the same. The style and approach is the same. And even that, that narrative, um, there's usually a similar kind of narrative twist or narrative play. So... Isn't it? Wouldn't it be fair to say that he's making the same movie over and over again? Well, what are the differences in his movies? So for one thing, in each movie, really different psychological space is explored. Um, for example, the, the main characters in, in Woman is the Future of Man and in the movie Yourself and Yours, these are two very different women. They have very different uh, relationships with the with the people in their lives um you know that's kind of true for all his movies even the the the, you know in many of his movies there's kind of a character who seems like a hong stand-in an autobiographical stand-in and even that character from movie to movie is a is seen in a different light or has a different uh shading to their their psychology or their emotions um, so the characters really aren't the same when you when you start to look at the details of it. And then maybe more importantly, the dramatic and thematic questions at stake aren't the same from movie to movie. Um, I like to think of his movies often having a, a metaphysical question kind of at their center. So and these, these these really vary from movie to movie. So the in the movie The Day He Arrives, which is that movie about where in the movie there's a kind of repetition. We see the same day multiple times with slight variations based on different supporting characters that the that the main character meets. And this movie really brings into focus the way we can turn the raw material of life into stories, and it starts to get you thinking about that it's kind of an arbitrary process in some ways of assigning cause and effect to very complicated things like human relationships. So by seeing kind of the, the how his relationship forms or doesn't form over the course of these three days, we start to think, well, what, why did it, why why did it go one way in in that day but not the other? Um, so it raises that type of questions, and then that's pretty different than what's explored in the movie on the beach at night alone, which is about something really different. It's about how uh, it's about a character whose sense of identity. Um, we we find is based not so much on her own actions, but on how she's seen by others, and then on a meta level, how she sees how she's seen by others. So that's a kind of two really different um, themes explored, two different ideas or two different sets of ideas that are you know brought to life by these by these movies, and then. You know, in Oki's movie, which is one of my, probably my, my single favorite of his movies, 
that seems to be about the way that uh, the things people tell themselves about the relationships they're in um, and relationships in general, those things people tell themselves are probably not always true, but it might be necessary to kind of say or believe these untrue things in order to make a successful relationship in a lot of ways. So those are, you know, three different movies. Um, they have a lot of similarities, but they really have different goals. They're really different projects, if you think about kind of what he's trying to get at. And then to kind of make it more complicated, um, I think it's actually for Hong, you know, so as I said, like there's a lot of similarity in the, in the movies, the way they look. You know, you can you probably could not pick out uh, which movie um, I'm talking about just by looking at a still because they all kind of in the, in the same milieu, the same type of characters. It's the similarity, though, that same idiom, <clears throat> that same setting that actually allows the differences between the movies to pop out. It's partly because the other things do stay the same that he can do this really finely detailed work in terms of the character's psychology, in terms of uh, these kind of philosophical uh, questions about how stories work and how identity is formed. Without that background setting staying the same, I don't know you'd get the same uh, sense of, of how different the little details are. Of course, you've got to be in tune with it and paying attention to the details. You kind of have to get past that idea that superficially uh, uh, the movies all, all do look the same. So those are the two case studies. These are two working directors who are really favorites of mine. Um, I wanted to talk about these two in particular because I do keep getting into conversations with each of each of their new movies. I get into the same conversation, often with the same people, trying to make this case. Um, it hasn't, I haven't succeeded yet. Hopefully, you know, maybe this will do a better job. Uh, I, I, I doubt it. But we could also just as easily look to the past. And there are many kind of considered among the greatest filmmakers of all time who really are, you know, masters of repeating themselves. Um, so Ozu, you know, similar, similarly to Hong, you know, his movies are all, many of his movies at least are in the same milieu. They have the same set of concerns, the, at least these family drama. Uh, but the difference in the details and in the psychology of the characters and in how they resolve are very different movie to movie. Um, again, there's there's similarities superficially, but the the differences are profound and, and deep um, and based in the in the details. Um, Eric Romer was another one of my favorite directors. He had the same approach and style through many of his movies and again, often in the same milieu. But he has different concerns in each movie. There's different kind of character psychology explored in each movie. Um, I, I don't think the idea that both of those directors kept the same setting from movie to movie is a strike against them, and I don't think it should be a strike against Hong Sang Soo. Um, and we you know, find that with other cases, we could talk about Howard Hawks repeating himself you know, directly in, in the Rio Trio, Rio Bravo, El Dorado, and Rio Lobo are in some ways remakes of each other. Um, El Dorado especially is very much a remake of, of Rio Bravo. But even in his other movies, he has certain kind of themes and uh, character types that repeat regardless of genre. And I don't think that that 
is necessarily, again, a strike against Howard Hawks. He's one of the great filmmakers. Um, you know, within each repetition, he's, he's is doing new things. There's new details. There's interesting things that come up based on putting a different actor in the same type of role from a prior movie. So, uh, you know, to kind of sum up, I would say that you know, the, that criticism of, oh, he's repeating himself or she's made the same movie over and over again is one of those statements that should raise a red flag, should make us step back and consider, is that just a, a superficial approach? Or if we look deeper, are there really significant differences? And then maybe to say that even if it is just a repetition, if it's a good repetition, well, that, that's what's wrong with that. Um, maybe someone repeating themselves and continuing to make a great movie after a great movie, perfecting their craft, is something that we should praise and not kind of be uh, always, you know, lusting after novelty, something brand new. Novelty is often superficial. Novelty often fades. The 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 excitement of novelty often fades. Um, so it's just something else to think about. That is about all I have to say about this today. If you have any uh, feedback or any take on this, you can get in contact with me, um, forager23 at gmail, and then you can check out my my movie blurbs and mini reviews on my letterboxed page under forager23. Take care. Welcome to the Hidden Track bonus segment. So this is a segment where I just offer a quick recommendation of a movie that's playing now on streaming, uh, widely available on streaming. So today I want to recommend the movie The Laundromat. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Scott C. Burns. It's a sort of thriller, sort of a didactic um, kind of teach, teaching the audience about something movie about the global uh, money laundering kind of industry it has um a, a, a good a large cast um uh and it deals with um, characters in different storylines and we kind of see how the global money laundering industry kind of affects different characters throughout throughout the world it's handled with a very light touch it's very funny throughout its um, almost breezy at times. Um, it does take a turn towards sort of preachiness in the in the very last moment, but up in, until then, it does, I think, a really commendable job of um, walking a uh, fine line um, between ke- keeping this sort of heavy, complicated material pretty light and engaging. I think that the uh, you know, there's a there's a huge uh, there's a big cast. A lot of people you'll recognize giving great performances. My favorite performance was by um, uh, Nanso Anozi, um, who plays a uh, who's who's in a segment of the film that kind of works um, like a uh, you could say a f- almost like a fable, uh, kind of embedded in in the movie the the larger movie. It's kind of a fable about about greed and betrayal that off and narratively and thematically with the rest of the movie um, and he plays a, a patriarch of a family who's dealing with uh, some un uh, some some uh, s- kind of secrets coming out um, and he has to deal with the the uh, the um, aftermath of that so anyways the movie is the laundromat 
Um, it is on Netflix. I recommend it. Take care.